I have tonight something that God has put as we sat on my heart, and a bit on my shoulders. And there's a little phrase that the younger guys here may not be familiar with. Keep short accounts with God. Well, I'll explain what that means in a minute, if you don't know. Keep short accounts with God. Now, we, we, we're going to learn something from the early life of King Hezekiah. A remarkable young man who, at the age of 25, stood up in front of the whole nation and said, Right, we're going to turn back to God, the God of our fathers that you have abandoned. And wonderful things happened because of his faith and because of his boldness and his obedience to God. And that's something that we can learn from. I would like us to think about him tonight. So we start with his father, King Ahaz, who was a very different man. He was what my family would call a G.O.M. Grumpy old man. He was very unpleasant. And he did terrible things to God's people and to God's temple. We'll start by looking at King Ahaz in 2 Chronicles, chapter 28. We'll find out about what he did. And then we will look at his totally different son, Hezekiah, who was a young man who was devoted to God's service. So 2 Chronicles 28 to start with, and we're going to launch at verse 19. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Wow. We'll move down to verse 22. Now, in the time of his distress, because he was under attack from the Assyrians, now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, the capital of Syria, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them, um, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every single city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers and verse 27 at the end of it then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. So we start verse chapter 29 with a new king and a remarkable turnaround. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. 
In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and, please note, and carry up the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and haven't burned incense or burnt offerings in the holy place to the Lord, to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he's given them up to trouble, to desolation and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. We'll turn down, go down, please, to verse 16. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they were finished. Verse 35. So, halfway through, so the service of the house of the Lord was set in order, so they'd be ready to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. And just the first part of, uh, of chapter 30, the first verse will be enough. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. So he's out evangelizing. He's sending out messages. All the people, come on, come and join us. We're going to worship God. Will you come and join us? Well, I was going to explain what it means keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Can you keep that in mind? So I need to take you back to when I was about, uh, when I was a young man, about the age of the guy in the back, and the, the elders, well, there were four of them, who I remember well, for a considerable period, there was Mr. Hellendorn, there was Mr. Pamant, there was Mr. Metcalf and Mr. Bell. Now three of those men had been businessmen, and in particular, they handled the money of their business. They were very good accountants, all three of them. Now, Mr. 
Hammond, particularly, was the kind of man I would call a typical shopkeeper. They were great guys. They, they were elders with, with different characters and different abilities, and we loved them, even though sometimes we thought, oh, blimey, he's off again without us. Anyway, the, here are the elders. And Mr. Hammond, in particular, was a man who was involved in, shall we say, shopkeeping. He, he, he owned, from his family, a big warehouse. I think it was a distribution centre for groceries, food, something like that. Not near here. And Mr. Pamman then had been involved in large quantities of money. In business, you set up accounts with a supplier of this and the supplier of that and the supplier of the other. So we, on our farm, we have accounts with the people who supply us with fuel, clear out the muck heap from the horses, building materials, and we have accounts with these firms around Berry, and every month or so we pay them the money that is built up that we owe them. So we keep monthly accounts with the businesses who supply us, right? So Mr. Pamant, you see, he had accounts all over Essex, I think, with his big business, with his big firm. And he had an account with them, an account with them, an account with them. Now, because you're a Christian, you have an account with God. You might think about what that means. What is your account with God? Well, an account means that you pay your bills. Isn't that right? So if you have an account with God, you pay your bills to God. And you say, please, sir, he's forgiven me all my sin. I don't need to pay for my sin. You're right. You're absolutely right. But you see, your life is ongoing. And sad to say, because we're human beings, we all sin sometimes. So we have something that might separate us from being friends with God. We might not be as close with God as we ought to be. And we have to do that right, you see. We have to go to God and settle the matter with him. And the way we do that is we pray. We have to talk to him and say, say, you must say what you think is right in your heart, and God will hear it. But you see, sometimes I have to say, sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Father in heaven, I've sinned again. I, I don't want it to break the, the love that I feel from you because I disobeyed you. Please forgive me. I want to confess to you what I've done. So I, I want to turn you to a very important verse. It's right at the end of your Bible. It's in 1 John, chapter 1, and verse 9. If you don't know this verse, I'd like you to be. I'd like you to know it. I'd like it to be. It's deep in your heart. It's wonderful. I'll read it. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now if you read the rest of that part of John's letter, you'll know he's talking to Christians. And he's saying to people who love the Lord Jesus, he says, look, if you pretend that you don't sin sometimes, you're a liar. He was very blunt, was our John. He was a lovely, lovely man. He was very close to the Lord Jesus. But, but he, he, he told the truth. He said, look, if you guys tell me that you're living a perfect Christian life, you're lying. You can't possibly be perfect. The Lord Jesus was the only one who was perfect. Sometimes you fall a bit. Sometimes you slip. Sometimes you might fall with a bang. 
Sometimes you might hurt yourself. You need to come back and confess your sin. Because he says here, if we confess our sins, plural, he's faithful and just, number one, to forgive us, and number two, to cleanse us. So the forgiveness was already there at Calvary, the first moment we believed in the Lord Jesus. But we can clear up whatever it is, whatever that debris is, whatever the mess is that we've made, and he will clear it up. He will cleanse us. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Never ever think that you've done something so bad that God can't forgive you. Never think that he doesn't love you anymore. Never think that there is now a gap that you can't cross between you and God, that you can't be close to him again. This is the way to be close to him. Just confess it from your heart and believe that he has forgiven you and he will cleanse you and you will know his love very close to you again. That is a very important principle for a Christian. Otherwise you could get fed up and despondent and give up being a Christian even. I know you can't ever stop being a Christian, but you can stop living a Christian. So God says through his word, cleansing is something that God will do if you confess your sins. So let's go back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a young man. He was only 25, I say only. And he was already what we would call a Christian. He, he loved and believed in the God of Israel. You would find him, of course he was king, so you would respect him, but you would find him a man who loved God. And you would notice it in his character. And Hezekiah said to all the people in the nation, because he got the power to do it, he said, come on, first thing to do, we've got to start at the house of God. We start there, we clear out the muck, and then we can start making sacrifices, offerings to God. Then we can start being happy. Then we can worship, and God will do more for us. We'll think about that later. So he started at the temple, the place where God was worshipped. He started at the right place, and then he worked out from there. And he got all the people who were the priests and the Levites of the tribe of Levi, come on, do your job, clear up this place that you should have been keeping clean and didn't. Come on, now I've unlocked the front door of the temple with all its muck and all its rubbish that my father did, all the things that dad broke and did such damage, you can now clear up for me because I want to turn back to God and I want you to come with me. So they start clearing up the mess in the temple. Today there is no temple, there is a temple in Jerusalem that there shouldn't be. The Lord Jesus made the temple obsolete and if the people of Israel turned to him they wouldn't need to use the temple except for a church to worship the God of the Lord Jesus, Father. But anyway, there's no temple here. There, there, isn't, there shouldn't be any temples in Christian circles because the Lord Jesus has changed everything. You see, the temple now, number one, is your body, is you, your person. But all together, 
the temple of God is all the people who trust in the Lord Jesus and belong to him. We're all one big temple. Temple is people, not building. I'm going to look at, with you please, briefly at some verses in the New Testament. And I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, first of all. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Now remember the lesson of 2 Chronicles, because the Old Testament is for our learning, for teaching us, even though things have changed since then. But Christians must now realise in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6 and verse 19, I'm the last person to find it. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So that's a warning to Christians about the fact that God lives in us. He lives within us. Well, sometimes we sing a, a, a hymn that you guys are not allowed to, to sing until next week or the week after or something, but it goes like this. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. You know how it finishes? He lives within my heart. He lives within my heart. Okay, so the God lives in you and you are his temple. And when you add all of us together, we are all his temple. So the gathering of all the Christians together on a Sunday morning or any or now, the gathering of the Lord Jesus is his temple and he is here. He chooses to be wherever there are Christians, although you ought to say perhaps that he chooses to gather Christians around himself where he wants to be. So he's here this evening with us and we are his temple. We've come to gather around him in his temple, not the building, but the people. So that's the warning, really, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep your body, keep yourself in order, remembering that it's holy because God is there. And uh, I've got another one. And um, I think before we turn to it, we'll just go back and think about Hezekiah for a moment. If, if you have got your thumb in uh, 2 Chronicles 28, towards the end in verse 24, you, you, can, you can see that the chronicler, the man who wrote chronicles, the chronicles is just a, it, that means a record. A chronicle is a, a logbook, a journey book, a record of things that happened that were important. So the chronicler says, and he's cross, he's angry. Listen to this, I'm going to emphasise it the way I think he wants us to. Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cutting pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. You can imagine his blood boiling. To, to behave like that in God's holy temple, in front of all the people that are God's people 
and I'm supposed to be worshipping God. And he's the king and he turns them all around to idols and chops out all the stuff that belongs to God that is so holy. What an evil king. So that was the state that the nation was in. And as a result, people were, were being messed about by terrible enemies, the Assyrians. And they were miserable and it was horrible. And people who don't believe in the Lord Jesus and reject the gospel are miserable. You may not think, they may not think that they are miserable, but deep down inside, you see, everybody's looking for a God. There's a need, there's a void that needs to be filled by God in every human being. And people who have turned to other gods are miserable and they'll get hurt. Sin harms people, it kills in the end. And that's the state that the nation was in. And Ahaz was doing a huge harm. He trashed the temple of God, as we say. Now, I will also suggest that British society has taken up with such evils that people are traumatised and miserable as a result. But I will say that my generation, and I saw it, in the 60s particularly, turned against the Word of God, turned against what they had learned from their parents who'd gone through a war that God had helped them through. And my generation abandoned the Word of God and the Bible as a basis for morals. And the 1960s was a time of everybody could do whatever they want. As long as you didn't hurt anybody else, but you often did. I'm sorry about my phone, that's... That's not God. Um, and I'm going to turn it off. Yeah. So our society, then, that we live in, has turned against the Word of God. Now, what's the pandemic done? What's it done to society? Well, for a start, we had to close Lancaster Hall for a while, so that was a bad sign, wasn't it? What's happened to all the evangelists reaching out to people with the gospel? Very hard for 18 months or so. What's happened in people's homes? Well, the psychiatrists and the social services people, those who are out and about, tell us that society has been terribly damaged psychologically. Many people are in distress because of the pandemic. That's not something that God wants to happen, is it? This is an evil thing. It's a consequence of something horrible. So after the pandemic, and God willing, it's beginning to lose its power, isn't it? After the pandemic, what happens? First, we start with our own hearts. Then we encourage the people of God. Then we worship with joy for what the Lord has done for us. And then we go out and we preach the gospel to needy people all around. That's not coming from me, that's what God says. After a trauma, get out there. People need God more than ever. They need him as much as ever because he will save them from their sin, he will change their lives. And this, this, this story of Hezekiah's life shows us what Christians can do. We can influence the world around us you may be less than 25, but you have school friends, you have neighbours, you may be very old like me. You have sometimes have a frightening 
influence on younger people. They seem to think that because I'm an elder, I might be perfect. Oh, I wish I was. But you see, we can all speak in the place that God has put us and say, you need the Lord Jesus as much as you ever did. Pandemic makes it even more urgent. Look at all the people who suffered bodily pain and suffered the loss of loved ones. Look at all the people who have died in the last 18 months. Look how society has been traumatised. What do they need? They need the Lord Jesus. Of course they do. So Hezekiah, he turned the whole thing around. We haven't got time to look at it in more detail. We've got to stop in a minute. But, but you see, Hezekiah, he, because he had some influence, that sphere of influence was tremendously changed because of that one man using what he knew of the God of his father David. So not for nothing does it say in the Chronicles at the beginning of his life, Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, I don't know what your immediate parentage might be, but I'll tell you what, there have been Christians who prayed for you, I know that, each one of us. And it was your responsibility to believe in the Lord Jesus, but God listened to the prayers of others through that happening. Hezekiah, I suspect, had a praying mother. Certainly, he had the learning, the teaching while he was young from those who did know the word of God and God's spirit worked in his heart. And that one man who had such influence was able to turn around the nation, albeit that many turned away again after he died. So, this matter of sin that we talked about, cleansing, clearing out the rubbish, we do know that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. So when you first believed, all your sin was cleansed. You were completely, perfectly just before God. You, you, you were like Lord Jesus because you're one with him. That's wonderful. And yet we do still sin. So there needs to be regular, frequent, keeping short accounts with God. Do you know what that means now? Keeping short accounts means that you don't build up a month's sins, to put it crudely, before you come back to the Lord and say, on the 13th of July, I know I did something I wish I hadn't done. Please will you forgive me. Why didn't you do it on the 13th or even the 14th of July? That's today, isn't it? Why not? Before you go to sleep tonight, if there's something on your heart, in your mind, that you know, Look, I'm, I'm the same. Uh, I need frequently to go back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry I have sinned again. Please cleanse me because I want to confess that. And he is faithful. He will always do it. He will always forgive. And he will give us the strength to fight, to continue with the fight, to be like the Lord Jesus, although we never will be completely. So there we have the clearing up the rubbish. And we too can clear out the rubbish, but we need God's help to do it. Well, I've come to the end of my notes, and I hope you'll be able to remember the call to evangelism, the call to worship, the call to cleansing, 
but Hezekiah gives us in the word of God. And uh, I trust that God will bless his word to us. Amen.